Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And we've been talking about this video from Project Veritas that was dropped last week that has now gotten, I think, more than 50 million views. It's been censored on YouTube, of course. Uh, The mainstream media, of course, is not talking about it. And we talked about this a little bit um, a few days ago in terms of uh, what this suggests about Big Pharma, about Pfizer and uh, the circumstances surrounding the COVID quote-unquote vaccine. I really don't like to call it a vaccine because we know now that it really isn't effective in the ways that uh, they initially suggested. But the conversation has continued around uh, this, this drop in this really just incredible video of the Pfizer executive that uh, an undercover reporter from Project Veritas uh, took out on a date, apparently, and over drinks, the Pfizer executive is uh, confessing to uh, some of uh, what Pfizer apparently is doing um, in terms of directed evolution, which of course is uh, trying to manipulate the actual virus so that then they can um, apparently create a vaccine and talking about the origins of COVID. And a lot of this is really disturbing and suggests that there is a lot more that we really need to uncover. But Twitter Spaces has become a a really unique and I think important forum for a lot of people to talk about this and have uh, conversations that are important that we don't get to talk about on a broad scale um, almost anywhere else other than alternative platforms, of course like terrestrial radio, like this one. Um, But I was in a Twitter space with Project Veritas last week, and um, one of the speakers in that Twitter space was Dr. Tao Braun, who is a U.S. national counterterrorism advisor and trainer, also a clinical psychologist. And Dr. Braun's comments in this space, I thought were so important. I immediately reached out to him and said, please come on my radio show and uh, talk about the... Uh, the bioweapon nature of COVID, of the vaccine, and comments on uh, this whole Pfizer revelation. So uh, Dr. Braun is with us today on this Friday morning. So Dr. Braun, thanks so much. And um, first, you know, give us a little bit of your background. And I think it's um, it's really fascinating your experience with counterterrorism, because my uh, work with with President Trump, of course, you know, I didn't deal directly with the the task force, anything like that. But in um, the context of the administration, that was what it looked like to a lot of us was that the world was responding with uh, bioweapon protocols immediately when the whole COVID pandemic uh, originally became kind of this broad national story. Um, good morning. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think that that was part of what beginning of 2020 looked like for me. And I sort of had the heads up. Um, I think that 
my my specialty within counterterrorism and within training people to respond to what people would call active shooter the correct term would be active attacker um and i'm very specific around that because i think it's helpful for people to see why a term like active attacker is so much better than active shooter because part of my work for just under a decade has been helping people to not fixate on 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 a specific weapon um as we all know sort of the go-to place um is always uh, around around guns and my job um i've primarily I've took on the responsibility of helping people to see that if they're going to only fixate on one weapon, they're going to miss out on the opportunity to spot early warning signs of somebody that let's say is an arsonist um, as their method of, of creating mass killing or somebody that's going to use um, an explosive, uh, an explosive device. Um, and within that spectrum is also the possibility of someone using biological agents, um, everything from chemical agents to, uh, to uh, biological agents to create um, illness. And so, you know, very much my sort of early indicators of this was um, I, I sort of always look to points of, of reference where people get lucky. And I got lucky in terms of some initial um, intel out of China before 2020 in late 2019, when I had somebody reach out to me and say, look, China's buying back the PPE from around the world. And we're ha having that PPE locked down and I've got factories to run and I need to be ordering PPE and having you ship it back to me. And I mean, that's that that's that's enough interest in terms of something out of the ordinary for me to start asking questions. So leading up to early 2020, um, as soon as people started saying, Doc, is this a bioweapon? Everybody's talking about, you know, whether there's a possibility that this is a biological attack. Um, my partly my role was then to respond as accurately as I could with the information that we had in early 2020 about whether or not I thought that this was potentially a biological attack. And I've concluded very, very early on that it was. And so that really framed the way that I saw the entire quote unquote um, pandemic. Yeah, and I'm talking with uh, Tao Braun, who is a U.S. national counterterrorism advisor and trainer and also clinical psych psychologist. And Dr. Braun, I think it is so important to uh, shape the understanding of what happened through the lens of uh, bioterrorism, because that gives us a totally different view of what actually happened in terms of uh, big pharma, in terms of um, even the administration's approach and you know, people like Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, because it, I mean, it's almost like watching a movie, right? Where if you see a movie and you and you are looking at the characters and you have this, uh, this understanding and perception of what's going on, and then suddenly there's this new revelation that you learn about one of the central plot lines that you were thinking a certain way, and now suddenly you discover it's it's completely different. Then you go back and, and in the second watch of the movie, when you know this, you view everything differently because now you understand the truth of, of reality. And so um, as as you're looking at the origins of COVID and, you know, some of these conversations that we couldn't even ask in 2020, um, you know, of course, President Trump was asking that, it, but he got shut down by even calling it the Chinese virus uh, and, and some of these things. Um, in your view, did the world respond with bioweapon protocols? And what did that also indicate about uh, the potential origin in terms of this, not just, you know, suddenly escaping in from a Wuhan, you know, fish market, 
Um, but that this was an intentional, intentional uh, perpetration of a bioweapon globally. Yeah, there's a lot there. So I want to say that partly what I think is always very important is that, um, you know, people talk about how this got uh, politicized. And um, I think we all have our biases. So it's very important always to try and come at, at, a, at a, solve a problem in real time. And, um, you know, it, I don't see it as any differently. Let's say a SWAT team arrives somewhere. Well, that SWAT team is not only trained physically to respond to solve the problem. They have to um, get out of the truck and get to work. And part of it is, you know, the person in the back of uh, the, the bear cat could have uh, had a sick child that, that morning, or um, maybe a family member had just uh, come back from, uh, you know, uh, a biopsy and, and, and somebody found cancer. Um, their biases can be numerous. So partly what you have to do in solving a problem is you have to be aware of what's going on. You have to switch off the noise and you have to look at something in a way that um, is deeply practical. I think part of what happened here is the there's so much noise um, in terms of numerous points coming at this. Um, and it's still like this today and, 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 and was like this three years ago with so much noise of so many um, different um, points of view, but not necessarily um, synchronicity as it starts coming to, you need a multidisciplinary team. But by the time you're hearing, let's say, one perspective of that, it should be filtered down um, so that you're only hearing, um, let's say, um, from a, a, a weapons point of view, a simple question, could this be built? You know, have you looked at the genomic sequence that's been released? Have you looked at some uh, information around some of the latest research? And the person doing that shouldn't be coming at that for the first time. They should have a really nice foundational knowledge. And so expertise becomes important there. There really has not been a multidisciplinary um, uh, perspective on this at all, which in a modern day world, you just can't solve complex problems if you think you're going to do this alone. And if you think you're going to do this one from one perspective, the academic research perspective has been way too heavy. And what can be done in a lab or in a Petri dish, um, every single person in the real world who's ever tried to do something and scale it or try to do it without the correct equipment or try to you know understand that there's now going to be a different human component to it, will know that a lot of research will fail when it goes from hypothesis to maybe some small time testing in a lab to a real world experience. I don't think there's a single uh, engineer that would say, okay, it looks good on paper. Let's just go ahead and build a whole city this way. Um, things have to be built in blocks. And it's the same thing with information. So um, one of the things that you mentioned was sort of the information that, that President Trump was getting. Um, I think that crucial to this conversation and what I think is very difficult for us as Americans to accept and, and to actually find some solutions from this and move on is that in labeling it, whether it was labeled um, SARS-CoV-2, COVID or, or uh, uh, the uh, Wuhan flu or the, uh, the China flu, um, all of that becomes a distraction to the fact that you have to ask yourself, what is the work product here? And where did that work product, what are the origins of that work product? And unfortunately to say, this is a DOD product. Um, I know that there's been a lot of people that have tackled this 
probably differently from me and they chase down patents. Um, I wanted to chase down who's been doing this kind of work. Where does the, where does this kind of science evolve from and who would be at the forefront of having this science ready? And it turns out that unfortunately the, both the um, quote unquote virus, and I don't like referring to it as a virus. I think even that has become um, sort of polarized. Um, this is a toxin. There's a biological agent and, and, and it's got numerous mechanisms of harm, but you have to really look at it as a very powerful toxin and having a look at who owns that toxin and, um, and also then, you know, sort of who's, who's been in charge in terms of the, the operational side um, as response to that toxin. And then we've got something that, that you quite rightly said is, uh, you know, people refer to it as a vaccine. Um, to make it a vaccine, they had to change the definition of a vaccine. Well, I would love my car right now to be, you know, a McLaren, but it's not. Um, <laughs> and I can't call it a McLaren and open the door and pretend. And if I drove around in it and made vroom, vroom noises, you know, um, I would be delusional and hopefully someone would get me medically checked out. And so when the CDC has to change the definition uh, of something that's been around for a uh, decades, if not, you know, into the hundreds of years in terms of how um, things have been understood in terms of the, the, the word vaccine as it relates to immunology. You know, and if you change something to make it fit, I mean, that, that in itself is both infantile and scientifically flawed. Um, and so what it is, is an immunostimulant. Um, it's a, it's a gene-based immunostimulant. And it's, quite frankly, it's, um, from a business perspective, it should just really be seen as the technology has evolved um, to make it possible to force the consumer to make their own product. I mean, that in itself should make people go, wait, what? Uh, what do you mean the consumer is going to make their own product? And who's actually paying for it? Because what this comes down to is the great push for this. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really, really dark um, subjects that we can get into around how this evolved, why it's being used. But on a superficial level, from just a simple business uh, point of view, you can know that any manufacturer in the world would love to cut out their manufacturing as their cost of goods. You want to go from the, uh, the bare bone minimum of the ingredients to end product. And if you can cut out the manufacturing process, your profit is just ridiculous. And so what they've been able to do here is force the body to make the toxin and cut out the manufacturing process. Wow, this is just incredible. And I'm so grateful, uh, Dr. Braun, that you are on uh, this radio show this morning explaining all of this. And I think it, a lot of the pieces are finally coming together as we continue to ask these questions. And I think we need to uh, expect our government to ask these questions. And when they're not, uh, we need to have investigative journalists like Project Veritas go and ask these questions because uh, apparently nobody else will. Um, but we'll be right back with more uh, with Dr. Braun and our conversation around the origins of COVID, um, the so-called vaccine, and the Project Veritas video uh, in just a few moments with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Welcome back. And I'm talking with Dr. Tao Braun, who is a clinical psychologist and U.S. Uh, National Counterterrorism Advisor and Trainer. And we're talking about the uh, COVID-19, quote unquote, pandemic, um, the origins, the context, of course, of the Project Veritas video that we'll get to in a moment. But um, Dr. Braun, before the break, you were talking about um, a number of things, including uh, the uh, the potential for you know this as a as a toxin, as I think you rightly characterize this, rather than a virus, um, being a product. And you know it was interesting to me watching uh, Dr. Fauci as he was advising the Trump administration and um, and really America um, about this toxin and coming at this from just one point of view and completely discounting the economic factors, the psychological factors, um, the uh, just the personal liberty factors, the constitutional factors. I mean, so many other things. All he cared about was one thing and that was shutting down and, and saying that um, the transmission of this toxin from person to person was the only thing that mattered. And we've now seen um, you know, almost three years later, how devastating that really was. Um, what was your view then, and has that changed now in terms of what that response was and um, Dr. Fauci's interest in all this? Because now we know more about what the NIH um, was funding and some of those connections, and we still have a lot of questions around that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that any any logical person at this point of at this point of, of three years later should be saying, well, this was you know catastrophic in terms of um, errors and that that ultimately it's a complete um, failure. And if, if people are not judging it that right now, they're actually in a world of trouble, because I think that partly what I've been trying to do, especially on on uh, places that I think are more mainstream, like Twitter spaces, is there are people that have realized that they've made a horrible mistake, that they were tricked, um, that they had been um, intentionally harmed. And so they're looking for solutions now. And um, for myself, I think that that you have a look at, at the response to this. Um, I think that it's people are still really, really having a hard time working out. Well, why was, why was this the response? And it was actually just this morning in listening um, to a conversation where people were trying to unpack this sort of for themselves. How did they, how did they make different, a different decision? How did they, they make the decision if they weren't forced to go and get vaccinated? How did they make the decision to get vaccinated? And now they've got, re, you know, buyer's remorse. They've got regrets. They feel like they've been harmed. They're trying to, in real time, work out what, what went wrong for them. But I think that that is only the beginning of a conversation. If somebody realizes that something has gone wrong, really, if you're in an emergency, don't be standing around discussing how did it go wrong. Like you're in the Mojave Desert, your car, your vehicle is broken down, there's no cell phone service. Um, to be standing there arguing with your mother-in-law about with the car that you rented uh, and that you were right and she was wrong and going back and forward in the midst of uh, a desert, you, you're going to die out there. You know, you have to solve the problem. And I think that I'm trying to help people to stop themselves trying to unpack this now, um, realize that they've made a mistake, realize that ultimately what, what, what I was going to say in terms of my awareness this morning was thinking, it took me back to um, a, a, a literature that I'd read while I was studying to be a psychologist, which talked about the belief of a just world. This idea of truth and justice and equity and um, all of it, it hinges on um, this belief, a philosophical belief that the world is just and fair. 
Well, it's not. It's not a fair world. Not everybody is born equal. Um, the idea that we can strive towards creating non-suffering is a phenomenal idea. And I, in my opinion, it's the basis of our, of our, our beautiful um, republic. I mean, I think that the Constitution in some way is a formula that strives to bring the best outcome for the most amount of people. And, and, and while doing that, recognizing that there's individual rights. And I think that partly what, this, what it needs is, though, is that the original people that were involved in writing it, I think we're in a much better position uh, in, a, in a very d different world to, to remember that not everything is fair. I think the basis of, of, of everywhere that we came to build this republic was to counteract the, possible, the possibility uh, that one's rights would be taken away from an external source. And I think that that, that is why I was deeply upset to see the amount of law enforcement and the amount of people that I would consider, you know, deeply patriotic in, 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 in public health and emergency management turn their back on their own foundational belief systems and, and family values and even religious values and suddenly think I've been told the boogeyman's coming, you know, the, the, there's a monster under the bed, uh, you know, and throw that all out and, and, and basically just come from an absolute state um, of panic. And, and, and these are the people that are trained not to panic. Um, and of course, then that filters down onto the rest of society. I mean, I, I just want to make this more personal. I think that one of the best forms of parenting that I've ever seen was I was um, at one of the national parks. I, I can't remember. It might have been Arches uh, in Utah. And um, I watched a father come back to his vehicle and he had young kids with him. And I watched him uh, working, walking towards the vehicle and seeing that it had been broken into and that the window had been smashed and there was glass everywhere. And I saw him sort of turn around so that his kids weren't, you know, surprised by this. And then I watched him just very, very quickly work out in real time that what he was going to do is he was going to talk his kids through this in a very calm way and that helped them to know right off the bat that, that there was no need for panic, that everything was okay. And I, hear, I heard him using those words. This is what's happened. Are we going back to the car? I've seen that our window's broken, but nobody's there anymore. And he was the calm that we all needed, that, 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 that ability to know that there's a problem and that if your life is not in danger in, 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 with an immediate threat, you have time to respond. But in terms of nefarious intent, I think that I'm really hoping that our court systems eventually, through a discovery process, will absolutely prove that key points of evidence uh, were left out in terms of helping people to understand uh, the threat um, and to not overreact to it. Um, and to know that solutions were present right from the beginning, whether it was early intervention uh, or industrial hygiene practices, or how about the common sense of just opening up a window and letting circulation take care of the problem? I mean, there were so many things that could have been thrown on this right at the beginning so that to only see draconian methods and a heavy-handed medical response immediately knows that somebody was dominating the conversation. And um, I think we all know at this point, I don't necessarily, I personally don't want to give him the power that I think that people think he's got. Um, I think Fauci is the gatekeeper 
and he is the moderator of that conversation and he's allowing the conversation to be dominated by one perspective but i don't think he's the creator of the conversation and and so fascinating to hear you describe this and and especially the response from uh people who now have uh vaccine regret and there are a lot of people and um you know i was reminded of uh of my experience in contract law where you know everyone is free to enter into contracts if you're you know over the age of 18 in the united states and you have that freedom now you may um ultimately regret a contract that you enter into and have to work your way out of that and problem solve um but the idea that you entered into the contract under fraudulent or intentionally misleading information then nullifies that contract. And, you know, and of course, people have, um, I think, wrongfully taken that debate and characterized that in terms of election integrity, that, you know, fraud vitiates everything, which is not true when, when we're talking about other things. But it, at least in the realm of contract law, um, I think what people are so frustrated about is that they didn't feel like they had a free choice um, if the vaccine was mandated. And they also didn't have a free choice if they were misled or believed that what they were choosing ultimately resulted in an entirely different situation than what they actually uh, made the choice for originally. And, And that type of harm is what does need to be resolved um, in the judicial branch and does need to be litigated. Uh, Those types of harms, um, whether or not that's an actual um, physical problem, like a lot of people who are experiencing um, what they term and they believe is is because of the vaccine, but also um, just even the the psychological damage of people who took it and now are wondering, you know, can I go out and run or am I going to, you know, fall over with a heart attack? I mean, some of those things and some of those responses then do lead to the fear that you're talking about. And so I think we need to navigate navigate this um, wisely and as you're suggesting to not have fear and panic and also learn from from um, all of this experience to not allow the government or the mainstream media to only present one solution as the best but question everything and to say well why is this solution being given to us as the only proper one why aren't we looking at um, other types of, um, you know, holistic intervention or ivermectin or, you know, some of these other things, um, hydroxychloroquine or, you know, some of these other things that were given as uh, potential solutions that were immediately shut down by the mainstream media, by social media. And I think we should question that. So in your mind, Dr. Braun, um, what are the most important outstanding questions that if you were sitting on uh, the the committee that's investigating this in Congress right now, what questions would you like them to ask? And uh, what do you think are the answers that we still don't have? Well, first, the first question would be that in three years, in terms of my industry, uh, somebody that's in threat assessment, threat management, somebody that's supposed to be a lead trainer in helping to stop everything from an active shooter to a bombing, um, why haven't they called me? I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, partly it, you you got to know that people set up committees. Intelligence committee did a report on this. Uh, you know, people did a fraudulent report on this, uh, on the origins in the Lancet. Um, you know, people have got to stop trusting a process. Um, if, they, if they can't trust their elected officials uh, to come at something without their own personal agenda. So if I've been the most outspoken person in the last three years and I'm sitting on answers, why... 
why is why are the people that I would consider colleagues uh, not reaching out? Why is the public reaching out to make sure that they don't drop dead of a heart attack? Why am I playing the role of having to say, look, I'm not a medical doctor, but this is the protocol I built for myself or my family. These are the phone calls I had with the EPA. This is the meeting I had with the EPA. This is what I understand about how to counter this toxin. This is how it's evolved. You know, the public is more interested in my information than any of my colleagues or elected officials. There's something wrong with that. There's a problem that I may never be hired to do the work that I was doing as a as a key um, as a keynote speaker or a lead trainer or speak to thousands of the people that went back and changed their their policies to make their um, active attacker training better. There's a problem with 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 the fact that it's not about questions it's about listening to answers so i i'm a straight i'm a straight shooter i mean um you know partly what you know the audience didn't get to hear is that i'll lead up to this conversation um as we're waiting to get get you know start you know talking about this is um we were talking about farms and um i like the fact that i'm somebody who likes word choice so let's i'm not going to use the you know the uh, the more crass term but let's call it bull crap you know when somebody calls something bull crap uh, uh, because you're dealing with a far, with a with a farmer's term, or you're dealing with a hunter's term, where it's like you find scat and you call it what it is, and you should know what it is. There's a difference between finding bull crap and bear scat, and and the reaction from you should be sufficiently dif- uh, uh, different to to help yourself or help those around you to stay safe or just not stand in it. And so I think that for me, it's about word choice. Um, if if uh, my my wife, for example, she, she got fired from a job from 13 years for not taking this um, uh, gene uh, this gene based immunostimulant um, while breastfeeding with a medical exemption, and she got fired. Now, the part of the problem with it is that if if her employers um, weren't told that this is a cobra toxin. That the closest match to this, the homo- the, the homologue, what they call a homologue, a clone, is a cobra toxin, is one of the lethal toxins on this. And let me be clear, a lot of people um, immediately shut down, oh, this is a virus, what are you talking about, venom, what are you talking about, toxins? I mean, viruses, um, uh, in, in the way that we understand them, that, that's part of why the public gets bamboozled. Um, contracts, like you said, should be, you know, we got ourselves in this space in 2023 that the minute you want to use a product, it comes with a thousand pages of a user agreement. That's not fair. That's not fair to anybody. What's in that contract? What have I really signed up for? And partly what it's, what, what people do is they bamboozle people with documents and information that takes too long. And they also bamboozle people by using really big, fancy words for things. And they, in this case, even go ahead and change scientific definitions to, to, to make a narrative work. But I wanted to be able to explain to somebody, uh, a child, if I had to tell a child today why they should not be injecting themselves into this, this is what I would tell them. This thing is like snake venom. This is going to be like you are bitten by a snake. Your body is going to respond to that poisoning. That poisoning can help you potentially stop another attack, but it causes cancer and may cause a heart attack and is going to cause you to have injuries. So just don't take it. Yeah, which which makes so much sense. And, you know, that 
when you're talking about um, you know all of the the documents and the you know all of this information that people of course can't sift through, especially when they are in the mindset of fear and panic, and they're being told just sign on the dotted line, and you know or they're being compelled, they don't even have that free choice then it's a totally different perspective of what they're actually engaged in. And I think you're absolutely right. There is so much uh, here to unpack. But we're talking with Dr. Braun, and uh, we'll be right back with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning to continue this great discussion. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we're continuing the conversation with Dr. Tao Braun, who is a clinical psychologist and U.S. national counterterrorism advisor and trainer. And we're having this conversation around the origin of COVID-19 that I I think has been brilliantly described as a toxin rather than a virus and the so-called vaccine um, as actually poison uh, and something that, you know, your body responds to. And I have seen that with uh, with friends that have have taken uh, this this shot saying, you know, how they responded to it were they were very, very sick for a few days. Um, we even saw Elon Musk, who's talking through, um, you know, his first uh, shot through um, booster. I forget if it was one or two, but, um, you know, talking about the, just the bodily response to this. And so, Dr. Braun, um, I, I want to ask you in, in the context of, of this correct terminology, um, then we go to the Project Veritas video where you have an alleged Pfizer executive who is actually discussing manipulating the toxin to then manipulate this shot that has has been mandated. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened in the history of our country, which is why there actually wasn't Supreme Court precedent around this. And there is, of course, no ability for the federal government to mandate this, um, even though they tried and they tried to um, to harness other powers of uh, federal law and the Constitution that were not given expressly for this purpose. And thankfully, the Supreme Court struck that down. Um, but in terms of, of specifically just trying to mandate the uh, intervention and, and this this medication of um, of the shot. What do you believe is the reason and the rationale uh, for this from big pharma and the government? Is it just purely profit? Is it something more nefarious? Oh, I think it's very nefarious. Um, you know, I I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to even really spell this out to people because I think partly what happens, um, and this actually happened to me on, on on again on a mainstream space on a Twitter space the other day. I was talking about how you can build a biological weapon to even target um, gender, race, and we'll get to the point where it can be um, that biological agent can be very very specific to somebody's uh, own genetics and and you and, and this is not difficult to imagine and and really doesn't even have to be um uh built these things exist in in low forms already for example um if if you know somebody is deadly allergic to peanuts and 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 you put peanuts in their food as a biological agent and you try and poison them try and kill them with the thing that you already know you're already making a targeted biological weapon based on that person's unique uh, profile and so when you can scale that when you can make when you can make that uh, more undetectable or you can do it for an entire area 
you know, that is the the real nefarious and 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 pretty terrifying part of this. That the technology has evolved so quickly that regulatory agents uh, agencies, um, whether they were captured or not captured, which I believe that they are what's considered a captured um, agency, they are no longer working for the benefit of the public. They are working for the benefit of um, either private citizens or corporations. Um, when you are at the level where your technology has moved faster then people have been able to legislate you you have risk and part of it is that the technology that we're looking at is really based on the fact that we are able to synthesize proteins and that's incredibly useful uh, for example, someone can go to their local grocery store or supplement store and they can buy collagen peptides, um, which I would recommend for anybody that is, uh, has been vaccinated because partly what's happening to their body is it's, de it's decomposing and it's pulling apart the connective tissue. And so collagen peptides are, is a synthetically based protein. It's grown uh, it's grown and manufactured. Um, and so there is uh, both benefit in our sciences. And then there's uh, then there can be um, some really awful ways of using that technology. For example, that same protein that you can build that can be a food or a supplement, you can also then build the proteins uh, and, 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 um, and, and even the primers of those proteins, something called peptides, short-chain peptides, that would then become things like poisons and toxins. And, and I think what, what I think that the science and, and I think that what, um, what people saw in the Project Veritas video is that most people assume that the people working at these big organizations um, and that way atop, uh, atop them, uh, at the top structures, they may have great knowledge. They're supposed to have the right medical background or scientific background. What you're going to find is that the biggest work out of these companies is PR. It's the spin. And what they'll rather do than have, have actual really great R&D teams is they'll have a few key people that, they are, um, that they're using to do the actual work, a few science teams around the world, and the rest of the people are doing very little and are fed garbage scripts. And those scripts have been read out by every medical professional around the country. It's at your doctor's office when your doctor reads the script to you or memorizes the key points of why this was, quote unquote, supposed to be safe and effective. Um, and all the way through to what you saw in the Veritas video, if that video is valid, it is such a great video to be able to show that these people have no idea what they're talking about and that from a scientific point of view, they could not explain this to a high schooler uh, in terms of actually laying down the science. What they're able to do is take a, key, a few key points and make it, and make it sound good. But ultimately, um, you know, immediately what I was questioning in the video is, um, okay, so this person is trying to spell out gain of function, but that's not really how gain of function works. And he talked about serial passage, and that's not really how serial passage works. And so I was realizing that as a, as a person, he's more involved in the strategy and probably sitting with people and crafting words than the actual science. And that's hugely problematic because that's endemic in most industries that are running our world. And the other way that they're getting away with this is um, without people really buying into being unethical is that they select out contractors that basically put multiple ingredients together and the chain, the, 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 the chain of manufacturing is broken up. I think there's something like 157 
components. Uh, I think it might have been to the Pfizer vaccine. If you think about all those components coming from different parts, different places, and then one final final uh, person assembling it all together at any single point along the way, um, corruption, fraud, contamination can enter and contaminate the entire entire thing. And so th- that also um, leaves people in a position where they ab- absolve themselves. Um, of the responsibility of the final product. They said, well, that, that's not the piece that I was working on. Um, and I think that that's, that's also how we get into a mess every time something is scaled up. I mean, um, I think that having self-driving cars, um, the technology seems to be starting to get there. Well, that's very different than when everyone's using it. Or the idea of how you know how does that work when you can hack things? How does that work when someone can do a, a magnetic pulse uh, that takes out uh, batteries? I mean, it you know you have to be able to think through all these things to be able to create a safe world, and people need the freedom to speak about them to create that safe world. Yes, people need the freedom to speak and ask and answer these questions exactly like uh, this discussion right now. Dr. Braun, who's a clinical psychologist and U.S. National Counterterrorism Advisor. And uh, Dr. Braun, you you, um, made a really important point about the Project Veritas video because I've been in a couple of other spaces as well with uh, Twitter spaces with Project Veritas and some of the concern that has been raised over the authenticity of the of um, not the video itself, but about um, the identity of um, of this gentleman who presents himself as a Pfizer executive is that for anybody who knows anything about gain of function research and other things, he isn't exactly uh, correct in what he's saying. And so it sounds like that doesn't really bother you from an authenticity standpoint. It bothers you from the standpoint that um, he's an executive and this is just typical that um, these people who are dealing with this kind of thing, um, they don't really know what they're doing. And there is a lot of Um, of language complications around this, even from the press release that Pfizer issued in response to the video a few days later. And and it was interesting that it was released at 8 p.m. on a Friday, which is, if anybody in D.C. ever knows, that's literally called the Friday night trash cycle, taking out the trash. You bury the things that you don't want to be the mainstream headlines taking out the trash on a Friday. So that, I believe, was intentional from Pfizer. And uh, and so what was your response from their press release where they said, you know, they basically denied we're not doing gain-of-function research, but then they actually said, and I'm quoting from the press release, in a limited number of cases when a full virus does not contain any known gain-of-function mutations, such a virus may be engineered to enable the assessment of antiviral activity in cells. I mean, that sounds exactly like what you're talking about, Dr. Brown, where they're denying gain-of-function, but then they admit basically the same thing just in different terms. Yeah, I think that I'm trained to also take things at face value. So um, if if you're dealing with a serial killer and that serial killer is telling you over and over, there are no bodies on my farm. Okay, so there's no bodies on your farm. Are there are there bodies at your at your uh, cabin that you have in the woods? You know, when Fauci was screaming back, uh, um, you know, in in. Uh, under oath uh, to say, you don't know what you're talking about. We're not doing gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. Okay, well, then believe him. Then where are you doing it? You know, some of this work has been done in, in, at, at Chapel Hill under Rolf Barrick. Uh, to, uh, it should be concerning to the public that to this day, we had two um, uh, a Chinese um, um, scientists deported out of Canada 
for uh, smuggling viruses um, out of out of Canada on flights, and they got deported. And to this day, uh, uh, Trudeau will not release information about who was actually paying for the flights. Um, you know, so when somebody tells me something at face value, if they if they if they say this is not gain of function, okay, well then tell me what it is. What do, what do you think it is that you're doing? And I think part of this is the bamboozle of the whole industry of viruses and vaccines. Let's go back to the root of the word virus. A virus means a poisoning of the mind. So a virus is actually propaganda. Propaganda is a virus. That's why we say things like it went viral. Um, we should also know that we talk about uh, viruses, but the archaic version of the word virus meant venom. So at some point, somebody realized, hey, we better have a new word for this thing that we're claiming to exist. And they went from the word venom to virus. And then all of a sudden, that connection is lost. That's very helpful for me to start unpacking as somebody who's not an epidemiologist, somebody who just has to understand weapons. And that partly my understanding of this has been very different right from day one, because I wasn't really interested in the machinery of the thing that delivers the bomb. I'm interested in the bomb. Um, it, it would be, you know, the bomb is the spike protein. And if they then tell me they're going to put the bomb into human bodies, if I know that the part that creates the pathology is the spike protein, and I'm able to dissect that spike protein like a bomb and go, whoa, hold on, this is very, very interesting because there's not one bomb over here. This is multiple, multiple bombs. Most, most, most people would assume that there's only one weapon. But when you have a thing that has multiple points that it can make contact and do different things, you have to start looking at it and dissecting. Would this work alone? Would this work together? Would, what, what, what is the most lethal part of the spike protein? But the actual quote-unquote virus, the vector that this gets delivered on, whether it exists or not, who knows at this point. But the spike protein absolutely exists because I can go and buy some today. And researchers can go and buy spike protein and they can do all kinds of experiments on it. And it is a deadly toxin. So you take that toxin and the minute that you're injecting a toxin, it becomes a venom. The definition of a venom is a toxin that's injected. And normally we don't think about it coming out of a syringe. We think about it coming with fangs or we think about it coming with the back of a scorpion with a sting. Or you think about, I mean, most people don't think about envenomation when they talk about Lyme disease. But ticks have venom in their saliva. And so, you know, for, for me, I think that, that the, I wasn't um, that concerned about um, the credibility of the person. What I was more concerned about is why is it happening now? Um, thank goodness some of this are talking points. Thank goodness we have spaces where this information can get out. But I think that everything can be used uh, by everybody as distractions. The biggest distraction for me is I have no doubt at some point Pfizer's involvement in all of this will just go away. You, you saw that there was um, that happened with AstraZeneca, with J&J. &J. Nobody even talks about those products anymore. The two competitors that were left to do this harm was Pfizer and Moderna. And I have no doubt that Pfizer, um, maybe even the entire company of Pfizer will go away and have to be rebranded or broken up. Um, it's probably already in the works. Um, Moderna is the real winner here in terms of that the Moderna uh, as a work product uh, needed to be the winner for those that are doing this because Moderna co-owns this patent with DOD. I mean, this goes all the way through to the top in terms of this is a military-grade bioweapon that has been un, uh, you know, hugely uh, profitable, and it's been hugely profitable for the U.S. government and for this tiny little startup 
called Moderna that had a, had not a single pharmaceutical product on the market, not a single mRNA product that worked, and will now have a slew of mRNA products, everything from putting it in your food to aerosolizing it with nobody stopping them and nobody asking questions. Wow. Well, we need to continue to ask the questions. And we are out of time already uh, for this show. And now you can understand why Twitter Spaces um, has just really taken off because we can have these, you know, four and five hour discussions, which people are having. So I would encourage you, if you want to continue this conversation, uh, get on Twitter, join the Project Veritas Twitter Spaces. Dr. Braun, thank you so much for um, this excellent discussion and your expertise and just enlightening us as far as using the correct terminology, how to think about this. And how to really move forward, hopefully, with uh, more answers because we will ask and the right questions. So uh, we will be back on Monday with more of Jenna Ellison in the morning right here on American Family Radio Network. <laughs>